Enrollment is open for Thomas's upcoming six-session live online course, Navigating the Levels of Trauma Healing. Explore how to work with the impacts of collective crises and challenges and learn tools to manage anxiety, overwhelm, and nervous system dysregulation during times of accelerated change and disruption. In this all-new curriculum, Thomas and expert guest speakers will engage in ecosystemic practices to collectively explore our resilience, agency, and capacity to stay present and find deeper meaning. Click the link in our show notes to learn more and enroll. Or go to www.navigatingthelevelsoftrauma.com. Welcome to Point of Relation with Thomas Hubel, a podcast that illuminates the path to collective healing at the intersection of science and mysticism. In his conversations with visionaries, innovators, artists, and healers, Thomas invites guests into a relational experience that allows inspiration and innovation to emerge. This is The Point of Relation. Please note that this conversation includes mentions of molestation and rape. Please consider whether this material may be disturbing to you. If you anticipate this topic to be difficult to effectively process on your own, we do recommend you choose not to listen. If listening may support your healing process, then we invite you to continue. Our guest for today's episode is Stephen Gyllenhaal. In 2017, after 50 years in the psychological sector, Stephen founded the Identity Development Institute, helping people heal from the impact of trauma from conception through pre-verbal development. He's also been an award-winning Hollywood director, primarily focusing on psychological issues, and in recent years has turned his attention to documentaries that explore social structure and early human development. We hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome to the Point of Relation. My name is Thomas Hubel, and I have the honor and I'm very happy to be sitting here with Stephen Schellenhall. So Stephen, a warm welcome to my podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really grateful to be here and looking forward to it. So Stephen, how, I mean, you're passionate about making movies, and I think many people will know you from uh, all kinds of movies that you make, made, and um, but you're also passionate about trauma. And so how... Can you put these two strands together for us? How come that you that you operate in two fields? And I and and I talked to you already, so I know that you are deeply into the understanding of trauma. So how how come? Maybe you can explain this to us a bit. Well, I I don't really know anybody around me or that I've ever met anywhere who <laughs> isn't traumatized, whether they know it or not. You know, um, certainly. I have experienced myself my whole life. <laughs> and, and I know having done a lot of therapy and one of the things about being in Hollywood is, is there is a lot of focus on therapy. And when I lived in New York, there's a lot of focus there. So pretty early on, actually even before then, when I was in college in, in Connecticut, um, I wasn't doing well and I needed to reach out for help. And, um, and interestingly, about the same year I discovered movies, because I grew up in a very religious town where you weren't denied movies, you just didn't go to them. They just weren't something you took part in. Um, the same year I discovered movies, I discovered cinema. There was a great theater where I, where I went to school and showed foreign films, which is what I saw first. I also went to a therapist. And I think immediately, um, I think it was unconscious, but, you know, movies are about trauma. <laughs> movies are an expression of human beings. Mm -hmm. And there's, and a movie that doesn't have a traumatic element in it, whether it's the love story falls apart or it's incredibly violent, or there's a superhero saving the world, or there's a small independent film, which deals with a family that's that's struggling in some way and goes deep into things. There's not a movie that isn't about trauma. So they're, they're inextricably linked. And I think for me, I didn't really understand it 
when I really was in New York, was in on the East Coast, fell in love with movies. I mean, movies saved my life, frankly. Um, and they made me understand when I was a senior in college that I wasn't crazy. That Fellini, Bergman, Coppola, um, you know, um, you know, I was going to say Fellini again because La Strada was one of the most important movies for me. It's the movie that made me go, I, I want to do that. I had no idea how to do it. I just went, that's what I want to do. And and it wasn't even a decision. It was just movies made me feel like I was a part of the planet that my own you know personal suffering you know not not nearly as dramatic as as many of the movies i saw but it made me feel a that i was experiencing something that other human beings experienced and b movies always processed it in some way may not have been a happy ending sometimes it was may have been an ironic ending or a tragic ending but i felt a part of the human race and when I went to Hollywood, because by then I kind of just saw all of these movies and fell in love with the process and the big screen, and I still love the big screen, you know, immensely. I, I, I was drawn to projects and subjects that were about trauma. Um, you know, and you didn't always get to do that. You know, what do they say in the movie business? You know, three for them, one for me. But most movies, even mainstream movies, are dealing with these kind of issues. So that's how it sort of emerged for me. And then, of course, therapy, um, all the way from my senior year in college until now, has led me to more and more clarity about trauma. I mean, I think when I started in therapy and then analysis and all these kinds of things, it was sort of Freudian-based and then object relations and Jung and all these people. Um, and, and and it really has been, as, as you know, over the last 20 years in particular, that we've begun to understand that trauma is at the core of what it appears we're, you know, it, that we, we, we can say, you know, these various um, maladaptive behaviors, so-called maladaptive behaviors are, in fact, I have found the brilliant adaptations to the trauma that we suffer personally and you know and i know you're very involved with you can't separate the personal trauma the issues that we human beings are struggling with and separate it from all the other suffering that's going on in the world you just can't do it um so that's not in a nutshell how, how i've come to it <laughs> All right. And I have many questions. So um, as, I, as I listen to you, I would love to, you said something that I think is actually crucial, key, needs a lot of reframing. And is the point is that maladaptive behaviors, as we call them, are actually very intelligent functions that help us to survive difficult situations better. And maybe you can speak a little bit about that and maybe also uh, speak a little bit to what you are passionate about, the identity development process and how these two are, I mean, you're doing some trauma work also and, yeah. and how we can understand because many people pathologize themselves for having stuff inside that seems like not as functional as others, not as strong as my weaknesses. This is the stuff I want to hide. And what you just said is actually a tremendous chance to change and reframe that. Uh, maybe you can speak a bit to that. First of all, when you're young, you think you have to hide things. You have to come across in a certain way. You're terrified to really be who you are. And you think that's you're consciously doing it, and you are consciously doing it. What you don't understand is biologically you're doing it too. No matter who you are, you may say, I lived a great life. I had all these things. You know, I, I can't complain about my life. But no matter who you are, when you were conceived in utero, and during birth, the early time development, you're very fragile. And we don't really understand, we really have not understood how miraculously complex we all are. So there's trauma in there for everybody. And it can be also trauma later as well. But to, to me, that early trauma is the most powerful trauma because we are so fragile, particularly in utero. 
So we all share it in some ways. There's a shared damage or not even damage. There's, yeah, there's damage done um, early on and we adjust and we have refined it and we have emerged with it. I think for me, um, after 50 years of pretty much every form of therapy available. And I think one of the things that's interesting, I wanna kind of, one of the things as I've been you know, reading your book and I wanna get into that a little bit, um, I grew up in a mystical environment uh, based on a, a mystic named Emanuel Swedenborg. And it was really, really not a great experience. It was really, had, had become very calcified and was not working. It was very right wing and just strange for a lot of reasons. Um, so I left that completely, abandoned it, and, and really have functioned in a secular life. I have really gone, this is where it is. I'm not going to look at the rest of it. I'm going to focus from conception through death, and that's it. Whatever goes on after it, I'm leaving alone. And it's, it's interesting, just to sort of sidebar for a second, that having done that for almost you know, 55, 60 years now in terms of therapy, I'm finding myself really connecting with everything you're doing and not going back exactly to Swedenborg and what I grew up with, but, but, but it's science is leading us in the same direction that, that spirituality has. And it's becoming less and less controversial to be involved with both of them. In any case, I didn't, in the 80s and 90s, I got diagnosed with multiple personality disorder. And, I, and I'm working on a memoir. I know it's all really interesting stuff, the voices, the stuff, that all that kind of thing really went on with me. And it was very confusing. There was a part of me that felt it was somewhat an illness. But there was something in me that knew, that understood. There was something kind of fabulous about it, something kind of amazing about it, something freeing me to be able to be able to talk in voices and have all these things. It was all happening pretty much, but always pretty much in a therapist's office. And I attributed it somewhat to, well, you're in the movie business. You're dealing with actors. They, be, they play different roles. You know, some, is more, some are more feminine, some are more masculine. One's a villain, one's not. So I didn't ever quite totally feel comfortable pathologizing Ultimately, that was debunked. The scientific community came in and said, this is all nonsense. They had all these cases to prove it didn't exist, many of which in the last 10, 15 years have, have been revisited and there's much more complication around it. It was a time when a little bit like, and I think there's something similar to this, when Copernicus and Galileo said, hey, look, Actually, what's going on is the Earth is circling the sun, and it's the moon is circling the Earth. And it's really quite, quite simple. And, you know, the Catholic Church and a lot of other people said, we're going to have to execute you for this. We're going to have to burn you at the stake because this is wrong. It's terrifying for people to step outside of the prevailing point of view. And the idea that we could be carrying in us memories that were buried was something the psychiatric community had a big problem with. I mean, a lot of them spent a lot of money going to a lot of school, getting all this stuff. And then all of a sudden someone comes along and says, you know, it's kind of simpler than all this stuff you're talking about. Not that the therapies and, and analysis and the 12 step programs and everything else I did haven't been useful, but they didn't get to the core issue, which is trauma. Mm -hmm. And when you are traumatized, you split and you bury the parts that you can't function with. So I was diagnosed multiple personality order and the dis disorder, disorder in the 90s, then it was debunked and I left it because it was not really solving the problem. They were using hypnosis. They were trying to get back to, you know, you, you must've been molested. This is what happened. I, I couldn't ever get to it. It never really worked. Not really the solution anyway, until I did this work. Until one day, um, I had made this movie called In Utero. I think um, we've talked about a little bit, which was my wife and I were trying to get pregnant. Um, I already had two wonderful children and had fallen in love again and wanted to have another child. And we were having problems. So I said, well, let's go make a documentary about you know, science from conception to, pre to, to birth. Um, only 
a white guy in Hollywood could go, I want to go make a movie to solve my problem. Mm -hmm. But in the process, made a really important movie, um, which brought trauma right back up to the to the to the front. And 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 also the trauma from conception to birth and then even further into pre-verbal development, because the, uh, then what happened, um, a group in Europe saw the movie and said, what's going on here is exactly what we're capturing in our work. So I did a session. And the session brought up like that after 30 years. Well, after actually like 20 years of trying to figure out was what caused the multiple personality that my grandfather had molested me between the ages of five and six. I had no idea. I love my grandfather. He was wonderful. Of course, to get through life, you need to have a loving grandfather. So my system was able to really put that down there and no memory of it. Suddenly it comes up. I kind of go, it can't be true. I've done all this work. But over the period of the next few years, doing this work, um, identity-oriented psychotrauma, which is what um, I then ultimately brought to the United States, which is the Institute, doing that work made very clear to me that, yes, I was molested. Then I went back to my hometown, began to explore it, and it's all come to the surface. All this stuff has come to the surface. All this stuff that I understand why nobody wants to bring it to the surface. It's awful stuff. It's, I mean, it's just the body. It's just things going on. In fact, I've come really clear that it's not about the physical actions that are the most problematic. It's the environment in which that's allowed to happen. Mm -hmm. And in fact, in a way, when you go one step further, it's the environment of the planet that's the bigger problem that allows this to happen, the patriarchal structure, all those kinds of things. Anyway, when that all really unfolded, and I had have this institute, and it's over the last five or six years, I've really been refining it and working with it and training people. And, and, then, and then all of a sudden, I'm going, we have to step out into the world with this. We have to step out in the world. And here I am talking to you. And I've, you know, <laughs> I want to laugh for a second because in your book, which thank you for sending to me, you know, in the before it's been published, um, one of the things it says right in the beginning is we live stressful lives. You know, how do we deal with the stress? We're going from one thing to the next. So I haven't been able to finish the book because I've been so stressed. I have so many things going on, <laughs> but I've been reading a lot of it. And I kind of what I want to explore a little bit is. We are in complete agreement. The whole idea of attunement mm. is exactly what I have uncovered or I have discovered already existing, which we call resonating. And in fact, you even use it. And the method that brought all this stuff up for me in the first session like that and then refined it more and more, which brought up the memories that were in my body, you know, Bessel van der Kock's book, you know, The Body Keeps the Score, it all came up. It uses talking, but it really is using the body that my body can pick up from your body or other people, everyone, and they do it anyway. You know, um, you go to a party and you're freaking out because you're picking up everybody's craziness. You know, <laughs> maybe you do drugs or whatever to kind of get through the, you know, or whatever to get through the night or, you, you know, what, whatever it is. But really, it's, it's, it's kind of equal to Galileo saying the earth is circling the sun, that we are able to really feel each other, that someone else after 50 years in one session said, I'm feeling your grandfather. I'm feeling him stalking you. And I'm going, no, no, it's not possible. No, I'm feeling it. And I said, well, maybe something happened when I was three. No, 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 this is five years old. And that's when it really, for a short period of time, he used me. And, you know, you go back and why was why did he do it and all these kinds of things. And you find ultimately a kind of forgiveness, but you can't find any of that until you've dug it up. So, so, so. That's, that's very powerful what you said. Also about, and I think that's, that's the healing principle is being in resonance with two nervous systems, being able to mirror each other. And that's the assistance sometimes we need to allow something to come up when it has, because it creates the safety to be able to let that information come out. And human relationship, 
like there is no healing when I'm distant and you're telling me just things, not so much is going to happen. But when we are, when we have a warm relationship and there is safety in the room, then stuff in you or in me can start to bubble up. And you, you said it very clearly that this is the main principle of healing and it's based on resonance and maybe because I think that's where we have such a deep understanding uh, and we share like, this is how healing works. And, and I would love you to speak a little bit because I know you're passionate about resonance and you're also doing a movie about resonance. Maybe you can speak a little bit to what that is and how trauma affects resonance and how healing actually allows us to be more in resonance, like speaking the same language, even if you don't speak the same language, resonance still happens. Yeah, yeah, totally. In fact, I mean, I think the, what happens in a session, uh, in an ID session called identity development session, can be two different versions of it. One is a one-on-one -on -one in which one person is facilitator, is helping the other person sense what's going on in them. Okay. The other way, which I really, I, both of them are really very powerful. The other one is you have you ask the person what what do you want to address? What do you what's what's concerning you? And they do a sentence of intention, can be as long as they want. You say, well, pick three words out of it, and then pick three people to resonate those words. Mm -hmm. And they then start to resonate. And what happens is these people, and you it can be the first time you do it without any training, that part of it. There's a lot of training is necessary to be a facilitator, but to be a resonator. You can feel, you feel the splits. Or if, for instance, there's a certain sentence addressing a certain issue, or the sentence is a cover for something deeper, which can often happen, what is deeper that needs to be addressed emerges and the splits show up. There's a point, I think, in one in your book at one point when you talk about when trauma hits, there's a snapshot, a frozen snapshot. Mm -hmm. And and it, it's usually, and actually not usually, it is almost always an age. So as a facilitator, I'll be seeing three people and i can sense that one of the one of the resonators feels young they talk young so i say well how old are you and they'll say I, I'm, I'm three i feel like i'm three and even the first time you say how old are you well, I, I feel like i don't know i don't well just pick a number you know and they go oh, seven and then you go to the subject and you say well, what happened with you when you're seven and i usually gasp and go oh that's when xyz happened so so the so the resonating is very specific. In my case, it was after all these years up came my my, my grandfather. So so I think it it is it 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 makes utter sense really that you know an MRI machine, EKG machine, machines, 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 they're valuable, but the best instrument in the world is another human being. That's right. With all the same systems, the neurobiology, the digestive system, the 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 the, the bones, the skin, the the eyes—all these things, these miraculous things—that of course are as infinite to me as the whole universe is—is is picking up the the pain, the wounds that other people feel. So to me, it's been just—it's amazing doing these sessions because someone walks in. <laughs> I've, I have a great story. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I can really. Well, I sort of will tell it. I tell it. So, so I was hanging around. I don't do this anymore, but I did it at the time. Someone said, well, how does this work? So, so we were sitting around drinking wine, hanging out. And this guy comes up and he's the best friend of someone else. I don't know anything about this guy. He's a big fancy lawyer. He's whatever. Um, and, and he's, he has an artificial leg, you know, part something happened. Wasn't really sure. Um, and my, my good friend introduced him. Very proud to know this guy. And so he said, so, so, uh, how does this work? I said, well, just, you know, just say a sentence. Now, the reason I don't do this anymore is because a lot happens in an hour. And to do it for 10 minutes is like sending someone to the edge of a cliff and not being there for them. But in any case, it was early on. I was learning. You know, you learn how to do this. That's why we have the training. And I said, well, come and say, okay, I, you know, I said, so pick three words. So he picks three words and I'm sort of sitting there and, and also more I now I try and adjust people to do the resonating themselves or help them with the resonating. But in this case, I was still early on and I was resonating and I was loving the process. And he, and he started talking about this word or that word. I forget the details. And something strikes me that three years old is coming up. 
So I asked him, what happened at three, around three years old? And he gasps. And he says, that's when I lost my leg. And his friend, and he, and he starts to be really deeply moved. And he tries to fight it, but he can't. And his friend has never heard this, never knew why he lost his leg. He'd never spoken about it. And of course, he can't help but link up everything there. And you go, ah, oh, you want to be a cool dude? I get it. But that's where the truth sits with you. Now, I wish I'd spent another hour with them. I wish I hadn't been quite so glib about it. But it gives you an example of how it doesn't matter what the sentence is. The body knows we have an opportunity here to let some of this stuff up. And it'll move like that. It moves. The mind moves as brilliantly as the body moves when it's been cut. It's going to try and heal it. So, so that happens all the time in this work. And I, and I, you know, I wanted to be really careful. You know, I didn't want to reach out. I mean, certainly I'm in Hollywood and I'm known to some degree, but I didn't want to really step out with this until I really felt we were ready to address. We're ready to be a part of the puzzle that you've been putting together with so many other people. You know, I, I did a movie um, in which Gabor Mate's in it. I know him. I know Dan Siegel. I can't remember how I met Dan Siegel. I think I just searched him out. He's an awesome little, you know, he's a wonderful guy. He wears this weird hat. He goes around with this weird hat all the time. And, and, and you know, I, I've been sort of drifting towards these people, but haven't really wanted to step out and, until now because it's too important a piece of the puzzle not to now risk feeling like a jerk sometime and just you know doing whatever it takes to speak about what a lot of people go no 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 no, no. this isn't real but it's real totally real it's very real and i yeah. and i see this every day like yourself i see this so often that this attunement also the attunement to specific storages in the nervous system at a mm -hmm. certain age development exactly how i describe it then you get a a feeling and you bring it in connection into contact and then it it opens and i think if that relationship is there then it's amazing because everything that happened when people were alone when it was painful when there wasn't the right support suddenly there is support and the nervous system wants to heal it it's like <laughs> yeah. the detox wants to happen if there is the right environment for it so you become the environment and then the tuned environment that was everything that was missing otherwise it wouldn't have been so dramatically I, I would I would switch it slightly, I think. But something you said in the book, which I have to finish, but I kind of was rushing through it. I got like, seeing him. Oh, I wish we did this another week later, but I'm so stressed. I probably wouldn't have gotten to it anyway. But what I've learned in the work is all you need to do. And I think what you're saying is it's like, I'm not sure about the field. I'm kind of careful about that. And of course, I'm trying to work within the confines of science as we know it, even as I'm being pulled more and more towards something much more powerful and bigger. But it's that what I've learned is when someone opens up, when a, when, a, when a resonator is suddenly three years old and is terrified, just be there with them. Exactly. Don't try to heal them. Just listen. It's like just be next to them. And in fact, when they say, I'm so scared, I don't know what I'm going to die, I'm going to die. Don't go, no, you're not going to die. It's sort of like when a kid scrapes his knee and you go, no, you're going to be fine. No, no. You're with that, and you say you even say yes. You 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 feel like you're going to die. You you don't you don't try to move them anywhere. You just sit next to them, and and if you've done enough work, and you've cleared up your own as much as you can, it takes a lifetime, I think. Then you're just there. You're just next to them. That's all a child really needs. Exactly. Exactly. It's good. Yeah. Right. And that that creates the safety that things can start to move again. Exactly yes. what you said. Now. That's yes. beautiful. That's beautiful. And that's the power of attunement. That's an that's a non-doing thing. It's like the attunement yes. is, is a natural way of expressing love, basically. And so it's yes. it's beautiful. And so how do you think? Um, I mean, two things. Well, let's come back to the to the level of the movies because I think I yeah. think your life brought you two streams and uh, and you combine them beautifully. So how do you see when we look at the more systemic dimension of trauma? I mean, there's so much trauma in the world. There are so many large scale wounds that are and they're being created as we speak. So how do you see the role of of movies on the one hand, in a way? 
movies can trigger a lot of through violence and things like uh, trigger a lot of trauma in the society but also movies can be like a a, a way to bring things into our awareness and to to literally do some collective trauma work and i would like you to speak a little bit how can can movies be part of the collective trauma work that we need to do and how can it sensitize us and and bring things to our awareness that maybe in our daily life we don't see we don't feel we are not in contact with um maybe you can talk a little bit about the collective healing tool because i think life gave you like access to a collective healing tool which we are using beautifully yeah, yeah. Um, maybe well, let me let me give a couple of examples and, and i'm going to start with two examples that were oscar winners actually which to me indicate an awareness certainly in the hollywood community that we have experienced something important and oftentimes unexpected the first one was like 1952 because that was la strada and the movie of La Strada is about Anthony, um, Anthony Quinn. Why am I forgetting his name? Anthony Quinn, yeah. Um, plays this muscle man, bully, horrible person. He basically buys this young girl, throws her in the back of his little Conestoga wagon that's attached to his motorcycle. This is post-World War II, Italy, a disaster. And basically uses her completely. He falls in love. He kills her lover. And then finally, he throws her away. Um, beautifully done. I mean, beautifully acted and so raw. The very end of the movie, there's a song, there's music. Talk about music. Music is about resonating. Music is a, and it's Nina Roto, great composer in this song that the, the, the lover used to sing that was now dead. Walking down the street and he hears the song. He's a big mother of a guy, you know, and he goes down. He's walking down the street and there's a woman in hanging clothes and he says, where did that song come from? She said, oh, a, a girl sang it. I said, oh, where is she? And in the audience, you're going, oh, no, here we go again. She said, oh, she died on a beach. She died. My father found her on the beach. She died. And he's eating an ice cream cone and he just eats the ice cream cone. I think like, or maybe he's smoking a cigarette. I can't quite remember. He just walks away. Whatever. That night he gets drunk at a bar. Drunker and drunker and bullying, carrying on, carrying on. Finally, goes out. Everyone's yelling at him. He goes out and he goes to the beach. That makes me cry even now. And he falls down. And he starts to weep. And he weeps and he weeps and he weeps. And when I saw the movie, and I was a senior in college, all these hip kids ran, and I can't stop weeping myself. Mm. Everyone leaves the theater. I can't stop weeping. My girlfriend, who's with me, passed me on the arm and leaves me a week later. It's like, that's the end of this. And that's when I went, understand? He gets something, and that's what I'm going to do. So it's, it's music changed my life. Another movie last year won the Oscar, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, which is like the Marvel movies you know, multiverse sense of quantum that's been going on. And some of the Marvel movies are really trying to capture, we're in a quantum age now. It's all shifting. Movies are doing that. But that movie is really just about a little family trying to figure their shit out. And I was blown away by that, you know. And I went, and when it came out, I heard people, oh, that movie, that movie. And I went, this is the most amazing movie I've seen. And then it wins the Oscar. It wins everything. Because people know when something's come along and they are moved deeply too. So those are two movies that I think capture it for me. In terms of my work, I think, I think I've really seen that most of my work is trying to figure that out. I've just finished this documentary um, called Uncharitable, which is about the charitable sector, the, the mission-driven sector, and, and the triumphs and the fail and the tragedies, the tragedies that have happened because it, that doesn't really work. And, and that movie is really designed to overturn the way the charitable sector functions in this country. That's 10 million people working who are not being respected, who aren't really able to be unleashed. And in a way, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's me going, okay, and, you know, why did I do this? It's complicated. It wasn't like I had a, you know, I'm going to save the world. My friend had been destroyed by it. I kind of got involved with it and got deeper and deeper into it. But I can see, and we'll see what happens with it, that it, it, will, it may very well shift a really important part of the world sector 
which is the mission-driven, trying to do good work, but not getting enough money, not getting enough support. But if it can be made robust, it'll impact the for-profit world and it'll impact government. And that's a really important piece and all that. So that's one movie. I tried to make it as emotional as possible, but it's an intellectual statement. I'm also working on two other movies. One is, I think I talked slightly about, okay, I went, okay, resonating. Okay, cool. Resonating is is real. I believe in it. How do we extrapolate that or play with that into a TV series? How do I begin to speak about it in a TV series? And I'm like, well, let's play with this. And I suddenly an idea popped into my head. And, you know, I'm learning my, I think my writing will see if I get this show on the road on, you know, in made, but um, it's like my brain is working very differently. A lot of things have been cleared out of my life. I have much less need to look at myself anymore. It's just, here I am, I'm going to do what I can do. So anyway, I went, well, I know resonating works when I do sessions on Zoom. Someone can be in Africa. Someone can be in China. Someone can be in Moscow. Maybe one of them, their system goes out and they're just on the phone and they're just barely talking and all the resonating still goes on. It's not even about seeing people. It's something much deeper. It's on the planet. So if that's true, well, then why can't we resonate with aliens? (laughs) So I went, okay, this is going to be a TV series about someone who resonates aliens. In this case, they're lost because anyone who's in a rocket ship coming from somewhere else like Elon Musk wants to do or James Cameron wants to do, um, it wouldn't be easy. So they're lost in four generations anyway, and then they crash on the wrong side of the moon and blah, blah, blah. And the whole thing unfolds and it's all these people who can resonate. And the people who can resonate aliens are kind of crazy people. So I have some wonderful characters to play with. And the other thing is, there's another documentary, which is going to be called The Universe Sings. And again, it's moving even beyond the earth. It's going, the whole universe sings. I actually was, was uh, Googling, no, I'm much less about Googling AI, much less that's a mixed metaphor, but using AI and went, um, do planets have frequencies? Yes. That means galaxies have frequencies. We all have frequencies. We're all these miraculous musical instruments. So I went, I want to do a documentary on, on that, you know, and you can see, you know, it's like, you know, you have, you have visually, you have the whole universe to play with. Visually, you have the London Philharmonic to play with. I know that Yo-Yo Ma is very into this, so I'll get him to play. I can get access because I make movies, which is incredibly privileged, incredibly privileged, to kind of pull everyone in and say, hey, let's play with the the fact that the universe sings, and let's see what we come up with. You, Dan Siegel, Gabor Mate, let's bring you all in, neurobiologists, you know, some weird freak somewhere, and just bring this whole thing together to talk about how we are all singing to each other and bring the poetry alongside the science. Um, And then maybe be moving more and more towards mysticism and all of that, creeping Mm -hmm. towards there with with great care. Um, And I'll (laughs) lean on you for that. I think think it's like, because everything in the book, you know, and I do love it because you go science, mysticism. They're both connected. And it really helps. I mean, it's, I think I heard something the other day, which is there are only two ways you change the world, violence and storytelling. And if we can tell the story of these things, and that's really what filmmaking is all about, and and novels and art, all art is some form of storytelling, then I, I, I am very confident even in the face of so much that would indicate one should be otherwise, I'm very confident that we're going to evolve. You know, we're going to, we're going to get to amazing places um, with art and science and, and mysticism, but I'm going to leave that more to you. <laughs> <laughs> now that's so beautiful, Stephen. Like it's so lovely to also hear you talking about like what it means to come back to a sensing of resonance. And yeah. so, because like uh, our, our time is very intellectual and science has needs that, and that's very good. But if we also know that trauma gets compensated through intellectualization of what we can't feel. So we overthink what we can't feel. And what you're saying is you're making a movie that brings back the 
part of us that is sensing and is singing with the universe that we are all singing and we are all sending out uh, information and we all receive information every moment even our conversation I feel you you feel me we're in a dance yeah, yeah. and we are in in this flow together and that's data flow and and I think uh, I think that that's an enormously important movie it's to, to yeah. remind us of how much information there is and how much information we have have access to and I think I think yeah, go ahead no 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 I just to say you talk about libraries in the book and it's like I think about, you know, the Babylonian library that got burnt down or anything, millions of books. And they're yeah. all in here. They're all in here. Exactly. They're all in here. here. <laughs> and, and I think if if this can be made visible, like that our bodies are actually millions of years old and carry a lot of wisdom of all the lives that have been lived, that we can have this conversation now. There are millions of years sitting here in you and in me and, and, and how we unlock that wisdom and that information that we have access to. And you said it so beautifully also when you described the resonating and actually that people have that that can suddenly get information just by being in an environment where that's being held for them. And, yeah. uh, and that's, that's amazing. I think uh, there's so much healing going to happen from, from that. And, and we need a lot of healing. When you look at the colonialism ring around mm -hmm. the world, there's so much trauma that happened, racism, like sexual violence. There are so many or wars or genocide. I think to, to listen to the collapsed resonance and to the intact resonance and bring the, the trauma of the world back into resonance. I think that's, if you can scale that, that would be an amazing, an amazing thing. And I think a movie is predestined to do that. I, I think so. I think movies and a number of movies, it has can't just be one, it has to be a lot of them. And it also has to be the dialogue around movies that I think there's a, you know, the social media, I mean, it's sort of like all this, oh, social media is so that out of the kids, that blah, 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 going, this is, this is a global brain now. This is a global mind. We're, we, you know, and I, you know, oh, AI, it's, oh, we're going to, oh, AI, no, it's, I can reach the outer edges of, of thinking, you know, which is valuable like that now. I mean, it's, I've been using Google and AI going back and forth and go, oh, AI is a lot easier. And, you know, I'm going, let's not be afraid because I think, let's not be afraid to change and evolve because I think in a way, you know, my grandfather, my other grandfather committed suicide when he was 39, I think, or 41. No, no one wants to ever look at it clearly. They were afraid, you know, you know, people, you know, people who fight wars, I mean, they're afraid. I mean, it's why they have these, you know, it's like, it's trying to, you know, you talk about not resonating. You kill somebody. Mm -hmm. That really stops your ability to resonate. My father was in a war and he killed people and he didn't do it great a lot of times. And he had to be really drunk to talk about it. And he mm -hmm. talked about it and it, he, it, it wasn't his fault. He went off at you know 18 years old, actually 17 years old. And his mom had to write the thing to get him off there because he wanted to go fight for you know America. And kind of that was once he killed people, really, really difficult. But part of what I think we have to do, you know, again, is because we are privileged, we can go back. We can resonate the horror. That's what I have found also, that when you're a resonator doing this work in ID sessions, you experience the absolute horror of a three-year-old. I didn't experience what it was like to be raped by a guy who was, you know, fat and ugly and drunk and whatever else. I didn't resonate. I couldn't resonate that. Someone else did it. Someone else sat beside me and felt the vibration that I had to protect myself from. And we have to do that. I mean, I don't really complete. I mean, we're going to definitely talk more about all this, but it's like we have to go back and admit what has the species has done and experience it. And when we do that, when we sit beside it, when we're just there, when we don't pretend we're gods, that we can heal everything. And to me, that's part of what so many therapists suffer from. They believe they can heal somebody else. And in the process, they... They really are banging their head against the wall. The only 
the only way to heal is what we're talking about. It's just someone is sitting beside me. They're feeling it. So I don't quite have to feel it. So then I can see it in somebody else. And then, I mean, I have been around enough people who have resonated my um, horrible pain as a little child, bewilderment, all these things. Um, and that has so helped me, so many people. And at the same time, I have resonated other people's horrific pain. I mean, horrible stuff. What's interesting about doing that as a resonator is that your, your body is experiencing someone else's horror. Um, you know, someone else's absolute horror. So your body goes, and when you're done, you go, whoa, I'm not dead. And, I, and my whole system got to practice absolute horror, absolute terror, you know, near death, you know, or horrible hatred toward me. And I'm okay. So the body gets better, gets sort of stronger mm -hmm. at dealing with its own pain. So it's all it's this give and take that goes back and forth all over the place, which makes life really fun on some <laughs> level. I'm, you know, my eight-year-old son goes, Dad, you talk to everybody all the time. I mean, I don't know who it is. You talk to people all the time. Don't do it anymore. And I go, sorry, that's what I do. Because I'm having so much fun. Because 85% of the people, you just suddenly, I'm driving down the street and maybe I cut someone off by mistake. And I pull up next to them and said, wind down the window. And they're like, I, go, I said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Or I'm driving down the street and someone cuts me off and I pull up and I go, you remind me of me. You drive just like I drive. Uh -huh. And immediately we're friends, you know? At 85%, even like 90% of the time, people just love it. 10%, they look at you like you're a crazy person. So you go, okay, the odds are good that I'm going to have some fun. And when it's not, the, the man or woman or whatever is just having a really bad day or they're just really headed down a road that is, you know, it's okay. I, you know, because I'm going to play with most of the people. I'm going to be that three-year-old or the five-year-old really that I couldn't be three-year-olds also because it wasn't really about what my grandfather did. It was much more my mother's, my father's growing up with a father who committed suicide, then World War II, my mom losing her her the lover in the during the war because his plane crashed you know it's all these other things you know talk about world trauma that i was dealing with at three years old that i couldn't really play so now 73 i'm gonna play i'm gonna be a kid you know more and more mm, that's beautiful that's beautiful it's also the feel you transmitted it's not just intellectual you transmitted yeah, 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 yeah. that's beautiful and also i think what you said about uh this this capacity that we actually get better and better the more we we do that the, the practice the resonance it actually opens up our universe and our life becomes much richer by, oh, much by richer. yeah it's amazing it's amazing yeah. yeah so that's amazing Stephen. i see it's the end of our time i would love to have a series of conversations with you yeah, yeah, absolutely <laughs> there's so much more we could go in deeper so if you're up for it maybe we can have two anytime and then i'll get the book fully read and then i can okay so I, next time yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and also i'll send you my memoir when it's ready because what you're going to see is my memoir is a personal journey. It's funny. My memoir is a personal journey through all my psychological stuff and Hollywood, a lot of stories about Hollywood, and being a father. And my children who are, you know, miraculous, both of them, you know, mm -hmm. and, and actually impacting the world even in bigger ways. My Maggie just wrote one of the best scripts I've ever read, and she's in the middle of all the directing problems about it. But it's a great feminist totally different from what she's done. And I'm going, whatever's going on in my life, it's percolating outwards. But mm -hmm. I think the funny thing is, okay, there's a memoir and then there's your book. And they're, ex they're like exactly on the path with each other. So yeah, I'm up for any time you want to talk again. I'm here. <laughs> yeah, so we will contact you. I think if you have a series, yeah. like a few conversations and then we go deeper into some subjects and we yeah, share yeah. our experience, this will be very rich. I would yeah, love yeah. that. <laughs> Yeah, and also the movie. We'll get you know. Then I get to interview you when the movie when I get the movie rolling. <laughs> okay, now I'm looking forward to that. I think yeah, that's yeah, a yeah. fantastic movie that will have a lot of impact. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah so yeah, send me your manuscript when it's ready. I'm I'm very curious, and um, so we get to talk soon again. And uh, thank right. you so much. This was a rich journey through yeah, yeah, different yeah. parts, and I'm I'm I loving I I love it how you 
allow yourself also to be touched, you know, when it comes naturally and it's beautiful. So it's so authentic. It's thank you very much. And, and I didn't used to be able to do that. I didn't used to be able to do that. And I didn't, I wasn't able to do it at my peril. Mm -hmm. You know, I had various little physical ailments along the way that were saying to me, beep, 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 let yourself go. And that's what's so amazing about where we are in 2023. This, this is all happening. You're doing it. All these other people are doing it. We're kind of getting a handle on it to be able to be open up and to open up and be what we really are. So yeah, away we go. <laughs> <laughs> That's, so That's a lovely way to end our conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Hello, my name is Thomas Hubel, and I just had a fantastic conversation for my podcast with Stephen Gyllenhaal, uh, a movie, pro, movie director and also deeply interested in, in trauma and trauma healing and actually a fantastically deep and re resonating uh, conversation where we also talked about the principle of resonance and how our relationships are actually the capacity to resonate with each other and to be deeply attuned to one another and how trauma healing needs that capacity of resonance so that we can begin to create shared worlds uh, in the areas where we actually carry pain and the pain that we need to suppress in order to continue our life and how that shared world creates actually a deeply healing environment. So if that's of interest for, to you, so please uh, listen to my podcast, The Point of Relation and uh, Stephen Chillenhall's uh, exploration of his own life, trauma, movies. Uh, very interesting. Thanks for listening to Point of Relation with Thomas Hoover. Stay connected by visiting our website, pointofrelationpodcast.com, and by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a positive rating and review, and share about us with your community on social media. Thank you. We appreciate your support.